If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Power still out in parts of Northeast Ohio and will be at least until Wednesday, it sounds like. Something we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with the cast of regulars, Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston. Let us begin. We talked about the news of this last week, but Jeremy Pelzer has gone a good bit deeper on all the machinations involved. We have two live redistricting issues going on right now in Ohio, one with the state legislature, one with Congress. What does Pelzer tell us we should expect, Layla? Yeah, it kind of turns my stomach that we have to deal with this again. But, you know, everyone remembers how the redistricting process ran off the rails last year. Those maps uh, were deemed unconstitutional numerous times, and Republicans essentially ran out the clock, leading to elections being run on those unconstitutional maps. Well, the fact that the state legislative map remains unconstitutional means they have to try again this year. And the Ohio Redistricting Commission will be meeting in, in the coming weeks to, to start that process. The congressional map is is also gerrymandered, but we're waiting to see how this ongoing legal battle turns out before we know if those congressional district lines will be used again in 2024 or if they'll need to be redrawn. In a, in a ruling in a different case, the U.S. Supreme Court recently shot down Ohio Republicans' justification for ignoring the state Supreme Court's order to draw a new map. So that decision is back in the hands of the Ohio Supreme Court. And one critical change over this past year has been that former Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor has retired. So she was, of course, the one who held the line against gerrymandering. Without her, Republicans could be dealing with a court that is far more sympathetic to them than under O'Connor's leadership. Even if even if that's the case, that the, the Ohio congressional map will still need to be redrawn in 2026, because the Ohio Constitution says that redistricting maps that don't have bipartisan support can only stay in effect for four years instead of 10. Another variable here is that O'Connor has joined with this with good government groups to try to hold a statewide vote in 2024 on a complete overhaul of Ohio's redistricting process. If their proposal ends up making the ballot and passing, it would put redistricting in the hands of a 15-member commission divided equally among Republicans, Democrats, and independents. So that is probably weighing upon the members of this redistricting group uh, currently. So, so you know, what happens now? Just the, the commission is, is scheduled to hold an initial meeting September 13th just to kind of get their bearings. No map proposals have been circulating yet, but members from both parties are hoping to reach a deal on a new state legislative map at least well before December 20th. That's the deadline for candidates to file for, for the March primary. Uh, the Republicans involved in this process have been very squirrely when asked the question whether they think this year's process will go more smoothly than last year's. Yeah, I, I suspect this is a bit moot because I do think O'Connor ultimately would be successful in changing gerrymandering. Her her original proposal was a bit unwieldy. We ran a roundtable about it over the weekend in our forum section that kind of pointed out the areas that need to be tuned up. Everybody had an interesting viewpoint on it. So this is really... 
a two-year process. Whatever comes out of this mess will be for two years. I fully expect that the Republicans who are in charge because they're so drunk with power and they're not paying attention to issue one will actually make it worse. I think we'll get worse maps in both versions. I, I don't know if the Supreme Court justices are so stupid as to ignore what happened with issue mm-hmm. one. Maybe they'll be smart enough to recognize that people are awake to civic policy. And if they put their thumb on the scale again, they could lose their jobs. Maybe. I doubt it. I think they're all drunk with power. But it's going to be for two years. And can it get any worse than it is now? I mean, how much more of a supermajority do you need to do stupid stuff? They have the supermajority. They're already ignoring the governor. They tried to destroy the people's right to control it with issue one. They failed. So if they get a few more seats, who cares? It's it's going to be temporary because O'Connor's move will fix that. That's true. I thought it was really interesting what, what Jeremy included uh, in his story about how the fact that we are a year down the pike a little further means that the the the, uh, um, the provisions about proportionality are shifted a little bit um, because you know the constitution requires the redistricting commission to draw state legislative districts that favor one party over the other roughly in proportion to the average percentage of votes that each party's statewide candidates received during the past decade. But the problem for Democrats is that in 2024, that 10-year look-back period won't include the 2012 election when President Barack Obama and U.S. Senate Senator Sherrod Brown each won more than 50% of the vote. But it will include the 2022 election when Governor DeWine and other Republicans won by huge margins. So interesting. It made me wonder if that also was part of the calculation here uh, that Republicans made in, in drawing this out as long as they did. I'm sure it is, but they're dead set on stopping O'Connor. They uh, the, the nonsense they spewed after she put out her proposal was ridiculous. You know, they're talking about how, well, these are going to be people who aren't accountable when these fools just re- rejected all accountability, didn't follow the Constitution, didn't follow the orders of the Supreme Court. They're going to lose on this. But if they think they can win, then the best argument is to do a fair map yeah. and say, hey, the current system works. We have a fair map. But there's nothing that's come out of these guys in two years that would tell you that they're going to use their brains, look at what's happening in the state and be strategic. I mean, Frank LaRose immediately after coming off of the humiliating defeat issue one, put his thumb on the scale on writing the ballot language for the abortion Mm -hmm. amendment. It, It is so over the top and ridiculous. It just shows this mad power grab. You would think one smart person in the Republican Party would be whispering in their ear saying, hey, hey, look at what happened with issue one. Right. Let's be a little bit more strategic and subtle. Right, right. I think for sure that if this turns out to be a heavily gerrymandered mess, the public has shown that they will turn against them. They voted 70 percent plus last time around, so mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll do it again. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've been talking about more fully subsidizing child care in this country, and it turns out the federal government is about to do that for a lot of parents. Laura, who gets the break and how much might it be worth? This is really good news for any families that want to use public subsidies to help their kids go to child care so that they can go 
work, basically. And it would help the childcare providers who need a more steady stream of income and need to help staying afloat. So I want to remind everybody here that Ohio has the lowest threshold in the country for being able to get a public subsidy. That's 145% of the poverty line that went up 3% in the last budget. And that's not going to change here. But For the people who do qualify, the price is going to be capped at 7% of a family income for what you pay for childcare. Some families would pay absolutely zero. And that's a lot of kids. 98,301 kids in the state use the program in 2022. About 115,000 kids were deemed eligible. So there is a big gap here of other kids who could get in the program if there were enough providers to accept it. So remember, most of these providers are small businesses, many of which can barely survive. And we've run profiles of businesses where people say they can't take public subsidies because they don't pay enough. They would end up losing money. And so this would change some of that. So in Ohio, child care providers who accept public funding are reimbursed based on attendance. If you don't, the kid doesn't show up that day, you don't get paid. And that doesn't really help when you're still paying for the building, the electricity, the energy, the food that you had prepared, the staffing. So this proposed rule would base payments based on enrollment. So you'd have predictable funding rates. And Ohio has among the lowest in the country at where it reimburses. It's about 25% of the market rate. So it varies depending on wh- where your child care center is and how good a quality it is. But Regardless, it's 25%. That means 75% of the centers charge more. This is going to change that, and that wants it to go up to 75th percentile. What's amazing about how poorly we stand nationally with regard to child care is we I have a governor no who claims he's yeah. about the children. I mean, he as soon as he got elected, he was saying, I'm going to be the children's governor, and nothing has changed with regard to this. It's it's terrible and comparatively speaking, it's terrible. So this move sounds like it's two steps forward when we have a mile to walk. Yeah, I mean, it, this is really good for for centers that take public subsidy and really good for families. And it makes me think of the student loans. Like, And you remember Biden tried to get bipartisan support for a child care overhaul, and it failed. So it's like, if well, if we can't get it through Congress, we're going to do whatever we can as a rule. So this is a rule that is up for discussion in the Health and Health and Human Services. The final day for comment is today. There was an Ashtabula County child care provider who was one of the commenters. She described her industry as in crisis. She said facilities her facilities, so she must have more than one, 900 kids on the wait list. And part of that is because they can't hire enough staff and they can't hire enough staff because they can't pay enough and they can't pay enough because they don't make enough. Okay, you are listening to Today in Ohio. The power went out in Cleveland Heights just after midnight Friday morning, and some people in this city are going to be waiting until Wednesday afternoon to get their power back. Last week's storms remain very much on people's minds. We talked about much of what happened last week, but we didn't know when we talked that tornadoes blasted through a part of Cleveland and elsewhere in Northeast Ohio. Lisa, where were they? How much damage did they do? And what else do we know? Yeah, the uh, tornado that touched down on Cleveland's east side Thursday night was one of 10 confirmed twisters by the National Weather Service in northern and northeast Ohio. The Cleveland twister touched down near East 71st in Chester. It was on the ground for about a mile and then uh, went back up into the clouds at East 89th in Euclid. Um, It was an EF1, which means winds of 86 to 110 miles an hour. The uh, storm was 150 yards wide. It 
did a, did a lot of damage to the 143-year-old New Life at Calvary Church on Euclid Avenue. The roof was torn off and some trees that were planted in a uh, memoriam of veterans fell on the building. Pastor Emeritus Rick Gillespie Mobley says the roof was only four years old. They spent $30,000 for a new roof back then. And then it also blew out several windows at the Justice Center downtown. Uh, there was an EF2 tornado. These are winds of 111 to 135 miles an hour. This touched down in Warrensville Heights and Bedford Heights, east of Green Road. It skipped across the 271-480 interchange. Two industrial buildings and a car dealership lost their roofs in that area. There was an EF1 tornado on Chardon, and that touched down near Aquila Road and Tewksbury Lane. That was on the ground for over a mile, and it was 175 yards wide. There was an EF2 in Middlefield, uh, which is an Amish community. That, that only stayed on the ground for less than a mile was about 100 miles wide and it was right near route 608 and nauvoo road which is basically downtown middlefield wait not not 100 miles wide a hundred yards. I'm sorry. A hundred yards wide. wide. Okay. Yes. Oh God, that would be horrible. Um, and then there was an EF1 in Mentor that had a four mile long path. And uh, there were also storms that touched down in Ottawa and Sandusky counties. I, what throws me about this is I've lived here for 27 years and I can't remember another day like that. We have not had that. Tornadoes are not common in our area. And yet with this storm, they were everywhere. And this was just one in a series of punishing storms Northeast Ohio has seen this year. It boggles my mind that we have people denying climate change when we are seeing unprecedented powerful storms that are doing incredible damage. I, I just, I can't imagine it. I, there are a lot of communities around here that don't have tornado sirens. Should they all be putting them in? Right. Well, I don't know. And is this just kind of a weird kind of climate change induced, you know, anomaly? I mean, basically, this is how weather is interconnected. There's been a heat dome sitting over the central United States for most of the summer. Well, you know, fronts and rain can't get through a heat dome. They have to go around it. So they're riding up over the northern edge of that dome and c dropping right over the Great Lakes. With I had no idea we could get a tornado in Cleveland. I was always like, eh, it can't really happen here. We have mm -hmm. too, we're, not, we're too built up. Well, and it's like no, there right had, in the middle there, of the city. But there had been occasional ones, but nothing like what we, we just saw. With regard to the power outage, First Energy has been working its tail off to get it back. I can see on all the chatter on social media, neighborhood by neighborhood, they're getting there. The people that don't have it yet are very cranky, as you can imagine, after four days without power, their food is all done and they're not happy. But, but it does raise the discussion about what has First Energy done to maintain its system? Back during HB6, there was one of the big institutional energy investors was talking to us, and he said the, the investment industry knew First Energy had spent no money on infrastructure. They had kind of faked their books by acquiring companies to make it look like they did, because those companies had, but they haven't. And is the real problem here that we have had very little maintenance other than tree trimming, that they're not really looking at the connections and the equipment uh, and investing the way they're supposed to? They go to the PUCO regularly and say, hey, we need money for infrastructure. Where is it? 
Well, and we have to suss out, I'm sure we'll do reporting on this, but we'll have to suss out whether these people would have kept their power if the lines and infrastructure had been upgraded. We really don't know. 145,000 people in Northeast Ohio lost power, 50,000 in Cuyahoga County alone. So, you know, you you can only harden, you know, infrastructure so much. But yeah, that's an interesting, you know, uh, investigation. Yeah. And I, a tip of the hat to the workers that are out there restoring it. They're they clearly are working very hard to get it done. You could see the pattern. I'm sure they're getting harassed by people who are walking up to them saying, what are you doing in my neighborhood? And they're outside getting the power restored. Also tip of the hat to our overnight reporter, Cliff Pinkard, who had, like went to his wife's church to work overnight because he still doesn't have power. So yeah. Oh, he's still without power this yeah. morning? Yeah. Wow. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why was the administrative judge for Cuyahoga County Domestic Relations Court removed from a controversial divorce case, Layla? Chief Justice Sharon Kennedy removed Cuyahoga County Domestic Relations Administrative Judge Leslie Ann Celebrees from presiding over the divorce of Strongsville funeral home owners Jason and Crystal Jardine. And it was because she improperly assigned the case to herself after another judge, Tanya Jones, had recused herself from the case. Kennedy said she should not have given herself that... Uh, Judge Celebrity should not have given herself the case to avoid the appearance of impropriety, but the, she made it a point to say that her decision did not reflect a finding of actual bias in the way this case shook out. Kennedy did not address numerous allegations from the complaint that was filed by Jason Jardine and his attorney, Joseph Stafford. The attorney in court filings sought Celebrezzi's removal from the case because of her relationship with the receiver Judge Jones had already appointed to the case, Mark DeTorey. Jardine and Stafford made the claim in, in court documents after they had hired a private investigator. And they said in the documents that the investigator followed the judge and recorded video of her visiting with DeTori, having dinner with him, and kissing him goodbye. Celebrez has argued in her own court filing that she and her family are longtime friends with DeTori and his family. She's known him since she was seven years old, and that their friendship did not factor into her work as a judge on this case at all. Kennedy noted that Celebrez admitted in the response that she often assigns cases to herself after other judges recuse themselves because as, as administrative judge, she has fewer cases assigned to her than the court's other four judges. So she said that assigning these cases to herself is a way to keep more complex and time-consuming cases off the dockets of the busier judges and to avoid the need to appoint a visiting judge. But the chief justice wrote that the requirement to randomly assign cases to judges prevents the appearance that judges can handpick their own cases, even if they have no untoward reason to do that, and that that's what celebrities should have done in this case. Yeah, I, I don't really want to get into the sordid stuff because she absolutely denies there's anything to it. I do think it's pretty obvious that she should not have been putting the cases on her own deck. That's why there's a random assignment right. in all the other courts. When the case comes back, it goes back for a random assignment. So for her to just grab them and say, well, they're busy. I figured I'd add it. That doesn't hold any water. She should not have been doing that. And it was the right thing to do for Kennedy to slap that down without discussing the sordid accusations in the court files. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Very quickly last week, one could buy all sorts of merchandise with Donald Trump's mugshot on it. 
Some of that merchandise benefited Trump. So I guess that's where supporters would go for it. But if you rightly believe Trump to be a criminal for trying to overthrow the government, might you want his mugshot as a celebration that justice is going to be served? Laura, what can you buy if you want to do that? I have no desire to sip hot chocolate out of a Trump mug. And (laughs) I mean, mug both ways in that sentence. Um, But you're right. Whatever makes you happy. If this is something, I mean, who knows? They're not cheap. I mean, to be fair, you could probably download this this shot and put it on anything you want on Shutterfly. You you could have like a Trump blanket if you want. Anything will personalize anything. But within hours of the booking um, Thursday in Fulton County Jail, Trump was moving to capitalize on the experience. So there are $35 t-shirts, $28 posters, $25 coffee mugs, $15 drink coolers, all emblazoned with the mugshot, underscored with the words never surrender in all caps. Um, So he's also obviously fundraising off this. He's sent out campaign fundraising messages using that mugshot, you know, where he's glowering and we've talked about what he's trying to convey with his facial expression. But then there's an anti-Trump Republican group called the Lincoln Project. They're offering a set of shot glasses uh, for $15 and you get the acronym F-A-F-O, which is F around and find out on the back. I thought uh, you it was can... a lot more than $15. You sure it's not $45? There's 55 You could purchase the whole set with John oh, Eastman, oh, Jenna Ellis, Rudy okay. Giuliani, and all of them. <laughs> so if you want, you know, if it's a collectible item. Remember, like, McDonald's used to do that, where every week you'd get a different cup or something, or they'd have them at gas stations. Maybe yeah, you but then you're dealing with that. the Hamburglar, not Donald Trump, the guy who tried to destroy America. <laughs> you can also get a bobblehead if you really want that. I think the only product I would it. purchase would be some toilet paper with his <laughs> mugshot. Honestly, okay, this is sad. My in-laws gave us gave us Donald Trump toilet paper <laughs> in 2016. I could not use it. It is still sitting in our basement <laughs> with his face on it. You know when COVID, like the beginning of COVID, when people were like, we can't find toilet paper. You I had that and you didn't use Donald it? Trump toilet paper. <laughs> it, it does astound me that there are people, a large number of people that believe in this guy. When you compare him, the wannabe Putin to the real Putin. Putin is killing off his enemies. He did it again last week. And that's what Trump wants. That's he wants to be that guy. And, you know, just under half of the Republic or most of the Republican Party, I guess, believes that he's the guy that should lead this country. He's a he's a criminal who tried to destroy everything we hold dear in government. And there are people buying his T-shirts in right. support of them. It's not funny. Like bobbleheads are generally very silly, right? And you can collect your athlete bobbleheads or whatever. But this is this is really not silly as much right. as we're, we're laughing about it because he did try to overthrow the government. People died. You know, all these people are going to jail because of their role in the, the Capitol because they went in and they destroyed property and they scared people. And he's just... He's there saying he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, but we all saw what he did. I mean, there's no denying what he did. We all saw it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The updated COVID booster vaccine won't be ready for another month or so, but some other vaccines for the fall season already are in pharmacies. Lisa, what are they? And is it too early to get them? 
Well, the flu, it's flu season or flu shot season. Shots are ready now at major pharmacies and at doctor's offices and health centers. Usually September, October are the best times to get your vaccination for the flu. Anyone who's six months of age and up should get a flu vaccination. There's a brand new vaccination this fall for RSV. We had a, you know, like a triple-demic last year. We had COVID, flu, and RSV circulating at the same time. So this vaccination is now available for adults 60 and over. Infants and older adult and older adults are at the highest risk, but they're still awaiting approval for newborns. So that should be available in October. They're saying that if you have a child that was born just before or during RSV season, you should get the RSV shot within a week of their birth. If they're younger than eight months, they should get it shortly before RSV season starts, which is usually about September or October. So, um, that should be available in October. COVID, we're awaiting FDA approval and supplies for a new monovalent vaccine for COVID. Um, they're going to be not necessarily free this time around. Everyone got a free COVID shot up until now, but they will not be covered by the feds, but there are programs available that you will be able to get a free COVID shot when it's approved. And that should be like either early or late October. Late last week, the Biden administration did say it was seeking money for the next rounds, so there could be a change of heart there. Uh, Layla, you've dealt with RSV in your kids over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Will you get that vaccine? Oh, goodness. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Anything to avoid one bout with with that. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty terrible, and anybody with kids is more exposed to it, even though it's much worse, I guess, for old people. It can Mm -hmm. really debilitate people over 60. So it's interesting. That's the first year that vaccine's available. But it does, Lisa, sound like we're still a little bit early to get the flu shot because it does wear off, that it's more of a late September, early October recommendation. Right. And that's what I usually do. I usually wait until mid to late September before I get mine. But, you know, you can get them now. But yeah, they say that September and October is really the best window for a flu vaccine. Can I wait so that I can get mine at the same time? Are they going to let us get them at the same time? Yeah, you can get them. I got them at the same time last year. You're listening to Today in Ohio. One of the bear habitats at the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo long has been about the most depressing place in the zoo, really in Northeast Ohio, with the tropical bears that live there piecing the same short trail over and over again and touching the wall almost in some sort of mental health tick. On Friday, the zoo dedicated a new bear habitat, Susie's Bear Hollow. Layla, how does it improve on the decades-old version? It consists of four new interconnected habitats in the wilderness trek area of the zoo. It's more than 18,000 square feet. That's triple the size of the former habitat. It's built to encourage a bear's natural behavior, which includes climbing structures, elevated resting areas, and dig pits. And the zoo officials hope that this more natural area will encourage their reproduction. Uh, It's an $8.5 million project. It also enhances the viewing experience for visitors with new glass viewing, a 360-degree view treehouse, and a climbing structure for kids who will get an up-close view of the bears and and their animal care team. And the the old habitat was 60 years old. Uh, This is the fifth habitat renovation that the zoo has done in the last decade. And the next one, I guess, will be the gorilla habitat. So that's cool. Yeah, I just I because of the range of these bears, you still wonder, is this 
is this humane? Is this cruel? Is so, it locking them up too tight? I went to the zoo know. yesterday, actually, and somehow I missed this exhibit. I think by the time oh. we got, I didn't, I, by the time we got up to that part of the park, my kids were feeling a bit frayed. So we didn't, but we did see the grizzlies and the black bears. And I got to say, the grizzlies look miserable. They are pacing back and forth on Rock Island. I mean, it's, yeah. it is not. It, the, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums has this manual that guides the building of animal habitats. And for all bears, the space should be large and encourage natural behavior. And I just can't see how the grizzlies environment meets that standard. I, I wish that yeah, they were higher up on the list of of rehabilitated um, environments for the zoo because yeah, it yeah. was depressing. I, you could not help but frown watching them just pass pass each other back and forth, pacing, pacing, pacing. It was sad. Yeah, I mean these are these are animals that have a range of hundreds of miles normally, and they're stuck in these tiny areas. Well, and grizzlies doesn't... aren't even uh, endangered. I mean, usually, I always thought that bears were put into zoos for breeding and and trying to keep them from extinction. Well, grizzlies are not endangered that I know of. That's weird. Yeah, I know. I, I'm with Layla. I, I have found it very hard to watch the bears. And I, even though this area is three times the size, I have a feeling that when I see it, I'm going to have that same feeling. Uh, you know, I have the same feeling about the elephants. I mean, I've, I've been on an African safari. I've watched the elephants travel huge numbers of miles, right? And here, I get to walk from one side to the other when the gate is open, and it just doesn't feel like they're happy and that's one of the newest biggest exhibits there are a couple i mean they also they did the tigers which that is a feels like a better place than where they had them before and um, (laughs) and cats just lay around all the time but also um the the other one that really bothers me every time are the sea lions do you guys ever go see them yeah yeah they just circle around a swimming pool for hours and it just breaks the heart I mean, I understand. Okay. I love the c- conservation message of the zoo. I love that that's what their their mission is all about. But it's it's hard to connect the dots between what you see and what you hear. <laughs> all right. Well, let's end today in Ohio on a more upbeat note. The late John Adams, the beloved banger of the drum for decades of Guardians games, is collecting some additional honors. Laura, what are they? He His drum is going to Cooperstown to the Hall of Fame. So that's going to be really cool. Um, that is a really neat museum, and I went a couple of years ago to see it. Um, of course, I really like the All-American Girls Baseball stuff, but I'm sure there will be a place of honor for it. And the team is going to name the bleachers at Progressive Field after Adams. Ceremonies will take place on opening day in 2024. There's already a bronze statue of Adams Drum and a bench in the club's Heritage Park, and there's a plaque near where his, he sat for decades in the bleachers and his initials J.A. stenciled in the dirt behind home plate at one point. So obviously, if you were a Guardians fan, if you were an Indians fan, really, because this was for so long when the team was the Indians, he was a fixture. He came over from Municipal Stadium and just banged that bass drum, which I believe he bought at a garage sale, which was a surprise when we did a big profile on him. But he made meant a lot to a lot of fans. And he's, that drum beat is really the heartbeat of the team for longtime fans. Yeah, I hope they display it at the museum so people from across America can see it. That's it for the Monday episode. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to Today in Ohio. We'll return on Tuesday. Tuesday.